Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes with your favourite actors and creatives in the world of musical theatre. Hello, I'm Mikey Worrell. Today we're going backstage with Daniel Boys, who's currently playing Marvin in Falsettos at the Other Palace. If you don't know, that's a theatre in Victoria that's kind of hidden away in the streets next to Buckingham Palace. It's just around the corner from the Victoria Palace and the Apollo Victoria, which incidentally is the theatre where Daniel saw his first West End show when Starlight Express was running there. It's 12 years since the BBC's Any Dream Will Do programme, which was the search to find an actor to play Joseph in an upcoming production of Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dreamcoat. Daniel auditioned for that show and made it quite far through the process. And since then, he's appeared in shows like Spamalot, Peter Pan, Ordinary Days and Avenue Q. We had a chat in a dressing room next to the studio space downstairs at the other palace and, for whatever reason, there was a giant pink unicorn in the room. More on that later. Here's our conversation. This is the Backstage With podcast and here we are at the other palace with Daniel Boyce. Hello, lovely to be here. You've had a nightmare with your train. It's all fine. We, we've, settled, we've settled down. Yeah, I'm here. Um, what a week you're having. I know. You're playing Marvin in Falsettos. The first time the show's been done in London, despite the fact that it was first on Broadway in 1992. Yes. What's your favourite bit? I mean, first, I'm going to say it's a massive challenge. It's It's been the, the hardest thing we've ever had to learn. But... Finally, I'm able to relax and enjoy uh, <laughs> some moments. No, I do enjoy all of it. I would say my favourite bit is a song called Unlikely Lovers. It's a song in Act Two. And it's a song, I'm not going to give too much away, spoilers, but it's a song uh, uh, for friends singing, you know, how much they rely on each other and how much they love each other. And it's just a beautiful moment. I found Act Two was just incredibly emotional. Yes. A lot of the time. Yes. How on earth do you get through numbers like What Would I Do when yeah. you have the audience audibly sobbing in front of you? It's, it, do you know what? It's, it's, it's difficult. I'm not going to lie. In rehearsals, when we get towards the end of Act Two, I would break down every day and it wasn't anything I could help with. It just happened. It just happened. And, and I'm very aware that as an audience member, you don't want to just watch someone on stage just crying. So just to try and suppress that is is tough in itself. Sometimes I cry, sometimes I don't. It's not about the crying, it's just about living the truth. And as long as I'm telling the truth in the situation, then I'm happy. But like you say, in this venue in particular, the audience are literally at your feet and every day I hear the sobs. I see the people holding hands. I see people comforting each other. We hear wailing sometimes. <laughs> people are really moved and affected by it. If I'm honest, it kind of helps because there I am singing this this beautiful song about the person I love and I could potentially be losing them and hearing people crying and, and so like I say, seeing them, it only helps and adds to the atmosphere and it moves me. I get really moved. I, I can't help but see them. We see all ages, different sexes, like all, and it, it affects everyone in different ways, but it's it's... It's testament to the show, and also it's obviously testament to us as actors that we've that we've told this story well, and people are moved by it. 
Is performing an emotional part like this the sort of thing that you pictured when you would sing in your bedroom as a teenager? <laughs> I remember when I was a teenager, I'm going to admit this, singing to things like on my own. Probably. Didn't we all? Yes, Didn't we absolutely. all? Absolutely. Arms folded, pretending I was Eponine. Did you borrow your mother's big coat? <laughs> I think I probably did. And my grandma's hat. No, but do you know what? I said, I said a moment ago, it's the hardest thing. It's hard, but it's, it's such an enjoyable challenge. Anything that challenges me as an actor, I, I relish. And, you know, I'd be a fool to run away from something like this. It's a gift of a part. And I, I'm loving it. I'm finding it hard uh, emotionally and mentally. I am finding myself taking it home with me. And I'm finding it hard to shake that off. And that's something I'm talking to the cast about uh, recently, actually, because... I'm finding myself getting very moody during the day. And that could be, you know, in Act One, my character Marvin isn't a nice character. He's horrible. People on stage don't like you. People in the audience don't like you. And I've never had to do this as an actor. I've never had to kind of shake off the role before. And so I'm doing a lot of meditation, uh, which some of the cast recommended. And just, yeah, just trying to relax and and make myself happy during the day. So. It's hard. It is it's hard. It's really hard if you're dragging around that Yeah, like I said, I've never had to do it. So I, I'm suddenly a bit flummoxed. Like, oh, I, I don't know how to deal with this. Um, and some people who listen to this think, well, that sounds ridiculous. It's only acting. It is only acting. But because you're so invested every night and going there to a certain place, a very emotional place, it is hard to just walk out the stage door and forget about it. And without revealing any spoilers, it's a dark ending. You don't yeah. get any catharsis. No, you don't. It, it, it ends and yeah. you're left just there exactly Ollie who I share dressing room with well in fact all the boys are in one room he does a, a warm down vocally which um, I think we're all meant to do I've never done one I admit that You're but he's sat there packing your bag well he, it's so good because he says not only does it you know get his voice dacked down it's so important but just he says it just puts him in a in a kind of a more normal human place <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Do you find it hard then to sort of wind down and go to sleep? Yes, I do. I mean, I've always been like that anyway. If I'm in a show, my average bedtime, I'd say is about two in the morning. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just not tired. I get in and I eat, which is probably really bad, but I'm hungry and I know I'm not going to bed for a few hours. I will always sit down and watch TV just to unwind. I watch some kind of box set or something. Yeah, I, I have to. I can't just come in and go to bed. I would just lie there wide awake. As long as you get your eight hours, it's fine. Why? Well, it's exactly what I do. Exactly. I set my alarm for eight hours. It's fine. You were playing a Jewish character. Yes. What work did you do to research the heritage? I treated this role like I would any other role. I do a lot of research for characters. I try and put myself in that situation. Obviously, like you say, I'm not Jewish. And without going too much into that, I'm not a Jewish man, but I certainly did my research. I spoke, I have many Jewish friends. I spoke to them. How would a character deal in this situation? Is there anything I should be doing? Anything I shouldn't be doing? And the feedback I've had from them and from other Jewish uh, audience members is that we're doing a very good, honest, truthful job. And what a great ensemble you are. I mean, I could name everybody. I feel very, very lucky. I, every night, I, and this is true, every night I do watch and listen to these talented people around me and think, wow, I'm, I'm amongst like a very, very talented bunch here. And it's a joy to perform with them. And Ollie, especially, who I have most of my, my kind of storyline with, he's just been wonderful. I've I kind of knew Ollie before this. This is Ollie Savile, for those of you who don't know. He's just, just a wonderful, wonderful human. I love him very much. It's welcoming out day, which I feel is is relevant to where we're going to go now. It's not the first time you've played a gay character. Mm -hmm. 
Rod obviously has one half of your part in Avenue <laughs> yes. Q and now Marvin in, in falsettos. Yes. How did it feel telling Rod's story eight, nine, ten years ago? And how does it feel playing Marvin now? Do you feel times have changed? Uh, I do think times have changed. I, I still think times are getting better and better as as time goes on. I think the kids these days are just so much more accepting because it's it's not a thing anymore. Obviously, to an older generation, it may be. But what I love more than anything is seeing kids, even the kids in this show talk about it, you know, very openly about, oh, you're gay. Oh, my uncle's gay. And, and it, it doesn't phase them. It doesn't mean anything negative to them at all. I think that the major difference between Avenue Q and this was Avenue Q was a puppet. And you know, a puppet can say anything and get away with it. There were so many topics in that show that if we were humans acting it, it would have been shut down. So I think, I didn't really think about it, if I'm honest, when Rod, when Rod came out, it was just this, I love him. I love Rod and I loved playing him, but it was just this heightened kind of cartoonish character. Something like this um, is very different in the fact that it's set in, you know, 1979 when we opened the piece. And back then, especially being a Jewish man, it would have been extremely difficult. I can't quite begin to imagine what that was like. I did Boys in the Band a couple of years ago, again, playing a gay character, a, whole, um, a group of gay men in, in, a, in someone's apartment in New York. And even then we discussed how even that would have been illegal, just being in a house together, not even necessarily doing anything sexual, just a group of openly gay men. And, you know, we are so, so lucky, the world we live in now, where it's, well, in our country and, and others, but obviously that's, there are still some horrible things going on around the world, but we are lucky here, especially in London as well, to live the lives we do. And, it, and it's all, you know, it's down to these brave, inspiring characters from, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s that have led us to where we are now. And it's amazing. So, yeah, Marvin is a gay character, but I don't... I don't find it difficult to play that. I'm, like I said before, as long as I'm playing truth of what that character would have gone through in those times, then I feel like I'm doing a good job. Have you ever had people come to you and tell you the effect it's had on them seeing oh. a gay character? Even with Rod, because I was a teenager when I yeah. saw that and it did affect me. I, I, I do constantly. We get a lot of letters. With this show, which has surprised us all, we have a lot of teenagers who seem to really relate to this show. I don't know why, because obviously it was written before they were even born, but we have the fansettos, they call themselves. And a lot of them, they are absolutely sobbing. In the foyer afterwards when we meet them, I've met a lot of trans kids. Um, and, and and with their parents, that breaks my heart. Um, the pet, These parents are just so accepting and they want a hug and they're crying. I've had a lot of people say to me, your relationship with your son in this piece is how I am with my father. And it, it it breaks my heart seeing it acted oh. out. Yeah, it, 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 it really, really moves me. And then on the flip side of that, we have the older generation. We see a lot of gay men, couples in the audience who obviously lived through the AIDS epidemic and lost friends, family through that and seeing their response and people not literally not being able to speak afterwards. It absolutely breaks me. And it means so much that... that we're helping them and, and you know, touching them and moving them. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Even with Avenue Q, I had, I had letters from people. But even not necessarily that, just being an openly gay actor, I constantly get letters from, from teenagers in particular, girls and boys, thanking me for being openly gay. And, and for me, it doesn't, I don't, I'm not doing it for any other reason and as, other than that's who I am. So the fact that it, 
I help people is is mind blowing and it's very humbling and I would do anything I can to to help people if they're struggling. It means a lot to me. Who did you look up to when you were their age? I think when I was a teenager growing up loving musicals, I loved people like Michael Ball, John Barrowman, these kind of leading West End men at the time. Well, they still are, especially Michael Ball. And I've just been on tour with them this year, which was very odd. Yeah, and Leia Salonga, uh, Simon Bowman. I loved the classic musicals. I loved Les Mis. I loved Phantom. I loved Saigon. It was actually Starlight Express that got me wanting to do this. I remember my parents took me to see it and just thought, what, what is this? this the, what is this? Is that around the corner? Yeah, and I, I, I absolutely loved it. And, and I remember thinking, oh gosh, I made me jump. <laughs> Someone's trying to get in. Oh. Was there a giant unicorn in there? There is a there giant, is a giant unicorn, unicorn in here. Can you grab it? I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's the funniest question. Was there a giant unicorn? And the answer, yes. yes <laughs> uh, do you, are you alright? Do you need a hand with the door or anything? No, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> that was a first. Where were we? You, Starlight Express. Yes. So yes, yeah, Starlight Express was the first show I saw. And I remember just sitting there just absolutely loving it. I'd never seen anything like it. And even though they were on roller skates, it was the singing. It was playing the different characters. I mean, I'd always done my, you know, school plays at primary school and what have you, but never thought anything of that. And then it was just sitting in an audience and the whole atmosphere of this show starting, I just loved it. And that's what I wanted to do. Well, you say that's when you decided you wanted to do it. How soon after that did you think, realistically, this can this can happen? I think, so I was probably, gosh, I don't remember, eight or nine maybe when I saw Starlight. And... I was, I was a chorister in an Abbey Choir from 11 onwards. I think that's where I got my training for my singing. That taught me a lot how to sing as a group and how to pick up harmonies. And then I think I seriously considered it from about 15 onwards when the school start to say, you know, you have your careers talks, what do you want to do? And it was a difficult time for me because the school I went to, as much as I loved my time at school, they weren't particularly supportive of me want me saying I want to be an actor I don't think they'd ever had that they didn't know how to deal with it and they were like oh well, maybe you should concentrate on something else just as a, you know in case you need to fall back but I'm very determined um, I was a very determined teenager and I was like no this is what I want to do so I, I took drama lessons um, I took singing lessons I, I did all I can I joined amateur dramatic societies put on my own shows like cabarets for charity and things and I just never looked back. And so when all my friends were applying for university, I applied to drama schools and I was lucky that I got into the two that I wanted. And then I had a choice and I ended up going to Guildford School of Acting. How did you choose? There was just something about Guildford. It was, it's all different now. They're in a beautiful brand new building. I think they've been there about seven or eight years and it's stunning. Back when I was there, it was kind of, they won't mind me saying this because it's how we all remember it. It was kind of rickety old buildings spread out amongst Guildford, beautiful Guildford in Surrey. And it just had a real kind of homely feel to it. I loved these old buildings, the history there. I just thought it was just this, yeah, this like this family, warm, welcoming environment. And I thought this is definitely where I want to go. And pre Any Dream Will Do, yeah. you had quite a successful first few years out of college. You know, you did Rent and Sunset Boulevard, Greece, not just tours, West End as well. Yeah. What made you decide when you saw the advert, I guess, what made you decide to do it? There are two reasons why I wanted to do that program. The first one is I wanted to be Joseph. That is serious. And I thought if this is how they're auditioning, I'll have a go. I seriously didn't think I'd get anywhere. I thought I'd audition and they'd say no because I'd been in the West End because I was already an actor. 
I know how these TV shows work and I thought they just wouldn't be interested in my backstory, if you like. The second reason is I thought, okay, if this is a way of helping my career, getting creating a profile, I will I will go down this route. I feel quite proud that I did it. It was a it was a brave choice. Like I said, I didn't think I was going to get picked, but I got further and further and further, and then suddenly there I was on live TV. But I I loved every second of it, and I don't regret it at all. It was difficult to shake that off, if you like, for kind of. I'm sorry for bringing. No, it up. it's fine. I don't mind talking <laughs> about it at all because, like I said, I'm not. It's I'm, Twelve years. Let it, go. it is twelve years. But what's amazing is people still remember it, and people, even people in this building, I'm not going to name them because it embarrasses them. Say, I voted for you. Like people still, oh. st- and it makes me smile and think that was twelve years ago. These kids weren't even born when the kids in our show when I did that show. I know. <laughs> But like I say, I loved it. I don't regret it at all. Don't ask me why I remember this, but I distinctly remember a clip of you saying, oh, I need to lose my love handles or something. Yes, I did say that. I actually remember that so clearly. (laughs) That was the week they gave us uh, loincloths to put on. And I was was a bit scared. And the fact that they made you wear the coats with nothing underneath. Yeah. A little bit pervy. It was a little bit pervy. (laughs) I don't feel like they could do that now. There were lots of... No, I don't think... I think you're right, actually. There were lots of different variations of matching trousers, matching vests, match... All these different match... And they had all these different combinations and that's what they went for in the end. It was a little bit... We had to have spray tans. We all had to shave our chests. If we had hairy chests, we had to get rid of all that. It's a bit me too. It is a bit... (laughs) But at the end, when sadly you were voted out, or not voted out, but you, yeah. you didn't get through to the yeah. following week, and you have to go up to the top of the stairs yeah. and do your big high belt and everything, that all happens very quickly. Yes. What's going through your head when you are standing at the top of the stairs and doing the ending of Close well, Every Door? all I thought was, right, I've been kicked out. I need to prove to people that I can sing. Andrew Lerber had said that week, he was a bit mean to me, and he said, who would want to listen to you sing for two hours a night? That's what he said. So I was like, oh, okay. So I remember just thinking... Right, well, you know, I don't like I say, screw you. I'm going to show you I can sing this song. And that's all I was thinking. I ran up those stairs and I sung the song. And that's all I wanted to prove to people is that I can sing. <laughs> so, there we go. I can't believe you said that. That's so rude. <laughs> I mean, look. He might have been taking the telly thing a bit far. I take it with a pinch of salt. I really do. Because I know I was very aware we all were. And you, your eyes are open to how those things really do work. I, I can't go into much detail, but I know that they... They did have a favourite, and it was very evident to us who they wanted to win. I think even he knew, which must have been horrible pressure for him. So, yeah, I remember thinking, I know I'm going this week. I didn't know for sure, but I had this feeling from comments that were said to me, my VT that week. I just thought, right, okay, this is my week. Just a bit skewed. There was something not quite right, and I just thought, right, this is my week, I'm going this week. And I did. But, hey, who's laughing now? Well, exactly. (laughs) The, the day, the weeks after, what happened? What calls came in? What conversations did you have? How did you pick yourself up? Gosh, I I remember getting a lot of phone calls from my agent about very silly projects that we were both like, no, this is absolutely the wrong thing to do. I wanted to go and do something that I was proud of. I didn't, I didn't just want to take any old job. Obviously, at the time, we were, I hate using this word, we were kind of famous because you've been on TV. People knew we were. I was being stopped in the streets. But that doesn't mean I'm just going to take any old job that's handed to me. It had to be the right one. And actually, the first job I took was a job at the Landor, which was a little theatre above a pub. It doesn't even exist anymore. But because it was a, a brand new show for England, for UK premiere, and I loved the music and the script, I thought this is a really interesting project. 
that's before I even knew anything about Avenue Q. It was literally, I thought, no, I want to do this. So it didn't matter to me that it was above a pub. I just liked the piece. And that was great. And then it was while I was doing that, that I auditioned for Avenue Q. I still had to go through the whole process. I'd got to the finals before for the part and John Robbins decided to stay on. But they didn't just, you know, they didn't just offer me the role. I had to go back, bring my own song, do all the puppet workshops. And then it was between two of us. And then I found out I got it. And I was so delighted because I absolutely loved that show. I saw it about four times before I was in it. Sobbed every time. Rod used to break my heart. Prince and I used to think, that's me because I don't know what my purpose is. You know, it really affected me, that show. It's amazing how a puppet show had so much truth and heart to it. I think it's a stunning show. And I, you stuck around in it for quite a while, didn't you? I did you? nearly two and a half years in that show, yeah. Did you stay till closing? No, so they, I stayed until they moved. They moved again for a third time to, to the, the Wyndhams, and yeah. that's when I left. And that felt the right time. I'd, I'd done it. I loved it. I wanted to go on to other things. And what happened then? And then I did two shows at Trafalgar Studios, one called Wolf Boy, which was described as a psychosexual musical, which was very strange. I loved it. It was certainly one of those Marmite shows that people either loved or just thought, what the hell is this? It was a very strange piece, just a cast of four of us about a boy who's in a kind of a psycho uh, psychiatric ward because he thinks he has the power of a wolf. Wow. <laughs> yes. And I was the um, older brother. And that was great, actually, because all the way through, everyone thought I was this caring brother. But it turns out that I'd actually been sexually molesting my brother. Really cheery piece. Very um, Trafalgar Studios. <laughs> very Trafalgar Studios. And then I did a show there called Ordinary Days, which was beautiful, written by Adam Guan, a, a stunning piece. And I got to work with Julie Atherton again. I've since worked with Julie Atherton. We've worked out six times. We've done shows together. So... I love that girl so much. And that was just an absolute joy to, to be in that. I mean, I don't really remember what happened then career-wise, but... Yeah, I've, your Wikipedia page, when I was doing my research, is all very like, and then it was this concert, I don't and then know, it was this tour. And it's I just, still don't really so understand much. how Wikipedia works. I don't know who writes it. Because like you say, well, I've looked at it. You've got a very dedicated fan out there it's somewhere. Very, and then on the 12th of January, yeah, he yeah, did yeah. it. Yeah, I think they've given up now a few years ago. They've, it's kind of not updated, oh, I don't right. think. But yeah, they know a lot. I don't know who writes it. And the photo on there is me turning on some Christmas lights, I believe, from a oh, panto, wow. which is very bizarre. I have to tell you, the Christmas in New York album is a staple in my house every it's year. It's stunning. The, um, oh my God, what's the one you do with Louise Dearman? Uh, is it the midwinter? Uh, in the bleak midwinter. With the, yeah, um, with, it's um, the mashup, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Winter's Tale. Winter's Tale. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, it's great. That album is stunning. And I listen to it every Christmas as well. It's like the first thing I put on. That yeah. Anadina Menzel's Christmas album. <laughs> I've not listened to that. Oh, it's really good. I'm a bit of a Michael Bublé Christmas album fan. It's a staple. <laughs> yes. It's a staple. What would you say is your favourite musical? I have two. One of them is a, a huge... Well, they're both hugely successful, but one is Miss Saigon. Um, and I only because I listened to it when I was about 15 and just was obsessed. And I still think to this day, the music is absolutely stunning. Um, I think it was right to come back when it did. When was that? Four or five years ago? Maybe longer 2014. Than that. Was it 2014? No. God. Um, and I was so excited to see that. I will always, that will always hold a special place. Never, never been in it. And Sweeney Todd. I just think that score is so atmospheric from the moment it begins. That kind of overture and that horrible haunting factory whistle that goes off. It's terrifying. And I just love it and I was lucky enough to do a concert version of that the Royal Festival Hall actually that was one of that's when I left the Joseph program I did that between I love you because and 
um, Avenue Q. Oh, that was what you did at Land, or I love you because. Is that right? Did I not say? Did you I not say what the show it, was? And I couldn't remember I was I love you because. Yeah. Sorry, God, I didn't even say what the show was. No, no, that's fine. I think I have a, an inkling of what this might be, but if you could gender flip any part. Oh, wow. From female to male and play it. Gosh. What, what would you choose? That's, you're very good with your questions. I mean, I bet a lot of men say Elphaba, I'm sure. I would like to do that purely just to stand there and sing that those songs. I think most people say it because they just want to fly. I just want to have a go at flying. Well, I've done flying, actually. (laughs) Peter Peter Pan Pan. musical. In fact, one reviewer in that musical said that it looked like Peter Pan had eaten too many mince pies. So... (laughs) Savage. (laughs) But going back to... I once said to my boyfriend, Chris, I'd make a brilliant Kim. (laughs) Did you then proceed to play it in front of Oh, I've sung it many times. I'd give my life for you. I've sung that many times in my kitchen. It's a classic. But realistically, something like Mrs. Lovett would be amazing. I know I've mentioned Sweeney Todd and Miss Saigon again, but what roles? Yeah. So I'd love to give Mrs. Lovett a go. Are there any revivals that you think are due apart from Sweeney Todd? Well, it's a show I'd like to be in and come to the West End, which has never been here, which is Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, I know. Tell me about it. Why has it never been here? And I'm probably, I'm getting this, that slightly bit too old now. I did know now. the reason and I can't remember why. Oh, it's just stunning. Disney. And what else would I like to see come back? Wolf Boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've, you've stumped me. But I'd like to be Quasimodo, but like I say, probably Virgil is a little bit old now. I think that's an ageless role, isn't well, it? Well, I, I would like to think so. But I know how the industry is over here. They, Yeah. If there was one up-tempo and one ballad that you could either sing or listen to for the rest of your life, <laughs> oh, what wow. would they be? Wow. So this has gone quite quick, fine. That wasn't my intention. No, that's fine. Um, hmm. Or what's the most played song on your iTunes or Spotify? Musical-wise, or any song. Or not. Oh, oh, well, okay. Well, in that case... Do you case, listen to a lot of musicals just kind of on the go? Not really. I used to, but I don't really. But my all-time favourite song is Soul Sister by Train. Hey, Soul Sister. Oh, right. I don't know why. Whenever that song comes on, in fact, I play that on the running machine over and over again. I just love it. So that's my up-tempo song. There's something about it I absolutely love. Ballad. I mean, this should be such an easy answer because I love singing ballad. <laughs> Probably something like... Moon River from Breakfast at Tiffany's. It's just, or it's a wonderful world. Is that what it's called? Uh, what, what's a wonderful world? What a wonderful world. world. It's just yeah. beautiful. Beautiful. So I'm allowed to. I get the feeling you like the soppy stuff. I do. I love a soppy song. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with that. They call me Ballad Boys because I sing lots of ballads. I'm amazed that hasn't, that isn't a show that's been done. <laughs> ballad Boys. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm missing a trick there. I, in fact, I've always, uh, for a cabaret, I'd like to do. I don't know. I, th- I think I called it something like boys. It's, now this sounds rude and I don't mean it. Boys does girls as in Daniel boys sings girls songs. I thought there's something quite clever on those words, but I've never done it. Like a miscast kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Boys does girls. For one night only. Yeah, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Sorry. Um, you're here at the other palace until the 23rd of November. Yes. Have you got anything planned after that? I have. So I'm off to China for a week, straight the day after we finish. My boyfriend, Chris Jenkins, is doing Titanic in China. So I'm flying to Shanghai the day after we finish. And then I come back and I start rehearsals for Panto. I'm doing Robin Hood in Southend at the Cliffs Pavilion Theatre, uh, playing the uh, Sheriff of Nottingham, the baddie again. I keep getting cast as baddies in Pantos. It's the beard, isn't it? It's the beard. But do you know what? I love it. 
I absolutely love being the baddie. Although I'm too nice and I come off sometimes and think, oh no, that poor child is screaming. I'm making it cry. And I'm doing it with Diversity again. I, I was there last year with Diversity um, in Aladdin and I've been invited back. So I'm really looking forward to it. I love Panto. It's just so much fun. It's hard work, but lots of fun. Well, thank you for coming in to do this. Not at all. you have to do the show. Such a big thing as well. It is. It's been fun to hear about your boys as girls. <laughs> <laughs> You can see Daniel in falsettos at the other palace until the 23rd of November. To make sure you don't miss the next episode of Backstage With, just subscribe on your podcast app. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? And don't forget to keep an eye on our Instagram at Backstage With Podcast to find out which stage door we're going through next. That's it. Thanks for listening. Listening.